Blog Talk Radio. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I did not trust the sweetest friend. But holy trust in Jesus' name Christ alone Cornerstone Weak made strong In the Savior's love Through the storm He is Lord, Lord I rest on His unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor falls within the veil Christ in the desert speaking hope and freedom to Iran. I'm your host, Randy L. Noble. I want to say thank you once again for taking time out of your busy life to join me today on my podcast. Today is Thursday, November 16th, 2023. I have a very different program this morning, which I felt was very necessary for us as Christians who deal on a daily basis with those objections to the Christian faith. And one of the biggest red herrings, one of the most influential objections to the Christian faith is this so-called bifurcation or this hostility between Christianity and science, or the Bible versus science. Living in this world today, you have those in the community of scientism who are constantly saying to us as Christians, look, 
We believe in the scientific method. We believe in the observable thing. And we are saying that, look, if we want to really look at the way things really are, if we want to really embrace reality, you have to trust in science. I mean, this religious superstition, that's what the French Revolution was about, all these religious superstitious people. Science says, here's what reality is. Religion is this invisible God and and it's a religious worldview that's outdated, it's superstitious. But wait a minute here. Hold on, hold your hats. When I think of the scientific enterprise in history before the Enlightenment, which challenged the Christian worldview, where rationalism was enthroned, there were Christians, committed Christians, who were scientists. Johannes Kepler, Blaise Pascal, Robert Doyle. I could go down the list. Isaac Newton. These were very influential, those in the scientific worldview, who were also Christians. So let's get something straight. When we look today at the modern discoveries of science in the last few decades, we don't see a conflict, really, between science and Christianity. This is something that we have to grasp right away. Those that are atheists, those that are agnostic, those that adhere to the worldview of naturalism, that all of life and all of reality is by time, by chance, by random processes, by evolution, had nothing to do with God. We need to challenge that once and for all, and say that when we look at reality before our eyes, when we look at the modern discoveries of science in the last century, it's already saying something that the Bible has already said thousands of years ago. So today's program is an educational program. There is a little bit of technicality to what I'm going to share with you, but you will understand the very basics of what I'm saying today and be able to really articulate it the next time you watch a special on the internet or you have a friend or a relative at the dinner table that says, well, you know, there is this big difference between science and Christianity because science is reality and it's the observable method and Christianity, that's religion, and therefore we can't have religion and creationism taught in the schools, you're going to have an answer for these objections. Let me put it to you in ways that you cannot misunderstand. There are more scientists today that are abandoning the Darwinian natural selection that's being taught rampantly. And they're coming to intelligent design because the evidence is very strong. It's very persuasive. It's right before our eyes. And so atheists or agnostics or skeptics really don't have a viable argument against the existence of God. Why? Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, For the wrath of God is revealed against heaven, from heaven, 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them or plain in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There's really no such thing as an atheist, because the Bible says that atheist is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, because the existence of God is very plain to them, God has revealed it to them. It's in creation. His invisible attributes, they're clearly seen. The problem is that the atheist in his sin, in his corruption, suppresses that truth, is willingly blind so that he, instead of God, can be the captain of his own salvation. So today on the cross in the desert, I'm going to show some things that you need to know to help you to give an answer for every person who asks for the hope that lies within you. First Peter 3.15, the beginning of the universe, the fine-tuning of the universe, the information code and the DNA. These are things, modern discoveries of science, that agree with what the Bible teaches. That's why a Sir Francis Bacon, a Johannes Kepler, an Isaac Newton, a Blaise Pascal could have a Christian worldview and still be belong to the scientific enterprise. They didn't see any conflict with science and their Christian faith. But I want to also try to argue in this way. For the sake of argument, let's just pretend that the atheists, the agnostic, and the skeptics, they're right. There is no God. Well, if that is true, I want to help us understand philosophically how problematic that is for the atheist. Because, number one, life is ultimately meaningless without God. If God does not exist, life is ultimately meaninglessness. If your life is doomed to end in death, then ultimately it does not matter how you live. In the end, it makes no ultimate difference whether you existed or not, right? Sure, let's say your life had relative significance. You influenced others, you affected the course of history, you did some great things. But if there is no God, then mankind is doomed to perish with the heat death of the universe. Because the second law of thermodynamics says that this, this universe is winding down. And so what that really means is, look, if we came from nothing and we're going to nothing, then it makes no difference who you are or what you do. Your life is inconsequential. And what that really comes down to is the contributions of the scientist to the advance of human knowledge, the research of the doctor to alleviate 
pain and suffering, the efforts, let's say, of the diplomat to secure peace in the world, the sacrifices of good people everywhere to better the lot of the human race, ultimately, all of these have no meaning. They come to nothing at death, right? And so if atheism is true, then life is ultimately meaningless. And without God, we live without hope. If God does not exist, then we must ultimately live without hope. Where is our hope going to be? In ourselves? If there is no God, then there is ultimately no hope for deliverance from the shortcomings of our finite existence. There's no hope for deliverance from evil. Just think of that for a second. In the last month, if there is no God, the terrorists who slaughtered the innocent Jewish people will not be held accountable. There is no God that in the end of time will hold these people accountable. There is no hope for deliverance from aging, disease, death. Now think about the ramifications of life without God. Now, I wanted to get that on the table for you to understand philosophically what this looks like if there is no God. That you and I are products of the germ and the slime of evolution that came from nothing and are going to nothing. Our lives don't have any significance. Our contributions don't have any rewards. Nothing. Nothing. Nothingness. But now let's look with the time we have here this morning. I want us to look very carefully at the discoveries of modern science and how those discoveries are saying what the Bible has already been saying for thousands of years. Now, before the Big Bang, philosophers and scientists didn't believe that the universe had a beginning. That it was always here, that it was eternal, and that there was no cause to the universe. But that all changed at the first half of the 20th century. Discoveries in physics and science came to the forefront. It began with Einstein and his theory of general relativity, first published in 1916. And he had a theory that the universe either had to be constantly expanding or constantly contracting. And he added to his theory, this is a big word, a cosmological constant. This universe was static. It was eternal. Later on, Einstein would call this cosmological constant the biggest blunder of his career. Why? There was a man named Edwin Hubble, an astronomer, in the 1920s that proved the universe is expanding. He invited Einstein to his telescope. And obviously, and we'll get to this in a minute, Edwin Hubble was able to show Einstein 
through the telescope, the expanding universe, which proved that it was expanding out from a beginning point. Well, that contradicted Einstein's cosmological constant. Later on, a Roman Catholic priest and astronomer, George Lamatri, also entered the debate. And if the universe is constantly expanding, then at some time in the past, the entire universe would have been contained in some infinitesimally small point. And this idea gave foundation to what is called the Big Bang Theory, the beginning of the universe. This became a real problem for the atheist, and I want to expand on this because it's important that we understand what's going on here. The universe is expanding according to Edwin Hubble. It became known as Hubble's Law, or the law of the expanding universe. The galaxy's movement away from each other suggests that they were one time closer together. And the implications of Hubble's discovery was unsettling to many scientists. If the universe is currently expanding out, then at some point in the distant past, the universe had a beginning. And scientists understood the implications of Hubble's discovery. They hated it. Albert Einstein, this whole idea of a beginning universe irritated him, although he had to concede after visiting Mount Wilson Telescope that the universe had a beginning. Arthur Eddington a mathematician. He was a distinguished British astronomer in his day, wrote in 1931, the notion of a beginning is repugnant to me. I simply do not believe that the present order of things started off with a bang. The expanding universe is preposterous, incredible. It leaves me cold. Eddington later said that he hoped a loophole could be found to avoid the implication of a supernatural creator. But this is what the Bible teaches. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The, the heavens declared the glory of God, Psalm 19.1. The idea of an expanding universe, this is what the Bible teaches. Isaiah 42.5, this is what the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out. Isaiah 44.24, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens. Isaiah 45.12, my own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their story. That is very similar to the theory of the expanding universe. And so the Bible and science both agree. Matter has not always existed. Materialism is false. Scientists, of course, have no explanation for how the universe began. But there was a time that neither space nor matter existed prior to the Big Bang. But Christians know 
that God created everything and that he created the universe out of nothing. That, that point is very important. The creator existing, God existing before the moment of creation, he is immaterial. He is beyond time and space. The only possibility for our existence is the existence of an eternal being who created everything and flipped the switch in the instant of the Big Bang creation. In that moment, time, space, matter were all created. And that's once again what's already in the Bible. In fact, it's in the very first verse, as I quoted to you. In the beginning, time created the heavens, space, and earth, matter. In other words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's your time, there's your space, and there's your matter. So we know that the universe had a beginning. We know that it had to be created. It was According to Genesis, God spoke, and it was so. Now, when we look at other parameters in the discovery of physics and science, we see something that is very important to understand. And that is something called the fine-tuning of the universe. Now, you're probably saying, what in the world is that? We just talked about something called the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Now we're going to go to something called the teleological argument, which seeks to demonstrate that the appearance or purpose or design of the universe is itself an evidence of a designer. We're talking now about the nature of of the universe, the fine-tuning of the universe according to science, according to physics, and how this fine-tuning shows that the universe is sustained to allow intelligent life, that there are things in the universe, certain parameters that must exist in a certain way in order to allow for life to exist. So modern physics recognizes a set of what's called universal constants. And what we're going to do is look carefully at these realities. The exact quantity of each of these constants and respective ratios in the universe must all be precisely as they are in order for life to exist. In most cases, the tiniest change to one of these constants, as I'm speaking about, will not only prohibit life as we know it, but it would make most forms of matter impossible. Our universe is not merely tuned to allow for some kind of life, but it seems to be arranged in the only way allowing for any life at all. And the probabilities involved with the fine-tuning of the universe aren't comparable to winning the lottery or being struck by lightning. Lottery odds are represented using eight or nine digits, one in the tenth power. It's like dealing a deck of 52 playing cards in a perfect order. 
That's the odds we're talking about. But physicists express the odds of randomly arranging universal physical constants in the present arrangement using numbers more like 1 in 10 to the 120th power. Now think about that, 1 in 10 to the 120th power, which means in that sense, a universe capable of sustaining intelligent life is like a treasure hidden in safe whose dial has a million of numbers and whose proper combination is millions of digits long. A single wrong digit anywhere, and there's no result. You can't open the safe. Partly opened, or mostly opened, the door is entirely closed to the safe unless the combination is perfect. So are you getting my point here? If we have these conditions in the universe that allow for the possibility of intelligent life, that means the fine-tuning of the universe has to have a fine tuner, and that is very, very, very important to understand. A fine tuner is very important. Now, let's get down to something maybe a little bit easier for you to comprehend, and that is DNA. How does that point to the existence of the creator. We have the first cause of the universe, the Big Bang, the expanding universe. The, the beginning had to have a beginner, had to have a first cause. We have the fine-tuning of the universe to allow for intelligent life. There had to be a fine-tuner, and now DNA. What in the world is that? Well, remember back in 1953, researchers Francis Crick and James Watson elucidated the structure of what's called the DNA molecule. In doing so, they discovered that DNA was a carrier of specific genetic information that takes the form of a four-character digital code. Information is contained in an arrangement of four chemicals that scientists represent with the letters A, C, T, and G. The sequences of these chemicals provide the instructions necessary to assemble complex protein molecules that in turn help form structures diverse as eyes, wings, and legs. Now, a great author who has written a book on this subject, Signature in the Self, Stephen Meyer, talks about the DNA molecule, and something called coding regions, written codes, linguistic texts, protein molecules. And there's a sequence, the A's, the T's, the G's, and the C's. They're inside the DNA molecule, and they convey a precise set of instructions for building proteins within the cell. There's information in the cell. And these information-bearing properties, random chance, luck, evolution, natural processes, the DNA structure points to the fact that there has to be an intelligent designer to be the cause of this information in a DNA cell. It's like a library inside of a cell. It's like a computer programmer 
and it has to have a source. It didn't just happen like – think of it this way. The book you're reading is not the result of an explosion in a print factory where all of these letters somehow self-assembled to have sentences, words, definitions. You wouldn't believe that. But that's what atheists are asking us to believe, that intelligent information like the printing of the book you're reading was the result of just some random explosion in a print factory, and all the words just assembled together themselves. No, that's absurd. That's illogical. Well, the same thing is the point here I'm trying to make about the DNA. There is specific information embedded in the, every cell, the simplest cell. There's specific information there for building proteins. And in these chemical reactions, if you want to call them that, and they assemble these protein molecules, it results in eyes and wings and legs. So if you have that information in the molecule, based on just logic, is that intelligence had to design that origin of that information in such a way. And this, I think, without a doubt, proves that our universe, that first life, was created and designed by God. It goes back to the verse I quoted to you in the beginning. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse, Romans 1.20. I think that when you read a verse like that and you look at the information that I've quoted to you, that it's beyond dispute that God exists. But again, what does our verse say? What's the problem here? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, is plain to them. God has shown it to them. What is the problem? The average person, through the corruption of sin, has suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Think of it as someone pushing down a coil, a slinky. You're trying to press it down. It's going to bounce back up, but you have to put pressure on it to keep it from bouncing back up. That's what the average atheist is doing. He has no excuse, as God says. His invisible attributes are clearly seen through creation. It's manifest in them. It's plain to them, but they are willfully blind so they can suppress the truth and live their lives the way they want to without thinking of any consequences or any accountability. I can live and do as I please. If there is no God, everything is permissible. Therein lies the motivation for being an atheist. And so what I'm trying to say on this morning's program is that, and I've encountered it just like you have too, you're going to run into people 
that have taken the knowledge that God has revealed, and they're building upon a foundation of naturalism and materialism. These are big words. And they will say to you and I, what we believe is so illogical. You believe in an invisible God, but our God, he may be a spirit, but his fingerprints are all over creation. His fingerprints are all over the design of our body, the complexity of our body. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139 says. The DNA in our body reflects intelligent design with the information code in the DNA molecule. The universe, through, a, through just the discoveries in the last hundred years, has shown that the universe hasn't always been there, that it a second in time, at a millisecond in time, it came to be out of nothing. God created this universe through his spoken word. The universe had a beginning. The universe is expanding. It shows that it had a beginning. The discoveries of modern science agree with what the Bible has already taught. And the way the universe is set up with the parameters according to physics, it was set up in such a way so that human life could evolve, if you want to use that word, that human life could be sustained. It was created so that human life can exist. And if one of these parameters of the fine-tuning was off by just a little bit, it would become chaos. Well, if you have a fine-tuned universe, then you have a fine-tuner. And if you have information... In the DNA molecule, it means you have an intelligent designer. These discoveries of modern science point to a creator, God. Now, it points to creator, but the way that you and I come to know that creator is not just acknowledging that there is a God, but to know him personally. And he has revealed himself to us. In Jesus Christ. And so I want us to just take a few minutes now and to think about all the things I've shared with you and hear a song from the late great Christian songwriter Dana Key. And it's a song supporting everything I've said this morning. It's all by divine design. Let's listen. Each day makes the evening sky into a shrine. You've known it from the start, cause it's written in your heart. This clock is running by divine design. What keeps the seasons changing as the winter turns to spring? Who made the plan to bring this rock to life? Divine design. Tell me you believe it. 
Great music from him, Divine Design, which I've been talking about all morning. You know, when you think about everything that I've shared with you, when I think about the DNA specifically, this world, the simplest cell, is much too complex to be explained by Charles Darwin's mindless natural forces. And that's why many scientists are jumping ship today and looking at Darwin's natural selection and saying no. And one of them is Michael Behe. He's a biochemistry professor. He's a leading advocate of intelligent design. And he argues that life in its simplest, irreducibly complex, the complexity of the cellular protein, delivery system, the cellular protein delivery system in a cell indicates design. Um, And so you can read Origin of the Species, 
But when you look at the cell under the microscope today, there's no way it could have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications of Darwin's theory. And he even argued that if it could be shown, that it would break down his theory. Well, that is precisely what has been demonstrated by the evidence supporting intelligent design. It's in direct violation of the classical Darwinian principle of gradualism. That is, complexity comes out of nothing, formed by nothing, by, by these invisible forces. That is not God. So I, I really think that's the reason why scientists today are leaving the Darwin ship. It has sailed. It doesn't work. It isn't true. The Bible is true. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so God created man in his image. This is what Scripture teaches. And what Scripture teaches is being validated. Even the modern discoveries of science that we've talked about today in the realm of physics and scientific observation, the second law of thermodynamics, etc., etc., demonstrates there is a creator God, but it's not enough to just acknowledge there is a God. We are sinners. We have broken God's law. We stand in judgment of a holy God that will hold us accountable. And the only way we can be free of that guilty verdict is to come to Christ, who bore our guilt and our shame and our punishment more than 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross. He conquered sin, death, and hell, and he provides that perfect righteousness, that perfect forgiveness. He provides all of that when we come to him in faith. And so this morning what I've tried to do is to give you good reasons for the existence of God, to show that science and Christianity, science and scripture is really not in conflict. And the next time that you feel humiliated by the atheist at the dinner table or in the workplace, be a good voice of reason to them and share with them. As, as the Bible says, be ready always to give to every man an answer for the hope that lies within you, but do it with gentleness, meekness, humility, and share the truth of Scripture. I hope this has been helpful for you today. I want you to have a great, blessed weekend. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be back on the air Monday at 9.30 a.m. Central Standard Time for another edition of The Cross in the Desert. God bless you. Have a great weekend.
On Medicare, you've got the best of both worlds. Medicare coverage from Essence Healthcare, plus team-based care from the physicians of Essa Health. Get your free information kit at EssenceHealthcare.com slash best or call 1-833-230-9531. On Medicare, you've got the best of both worlds. Medicare coverage from Essence Healthcare, plus team-based care from the physicians of Essa Health. Get your free information kit at EssenceHealthcare.com slash best or call 1-833-230-9531.